Welcome to Pod Save Africa. 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 Welcome. Hello, Pod Save Africa listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Pod Save Africa. I will be taking a quick pause on the Mythological Africans sessions uh, to bring you a news update. And I am here with your second favorite co-host. Again, would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> um, hello, friends. It's, it's, your, it's yours truly. Yours, yours, your beloved. I can um, hear back with you again to, to chat the news. I like how you assume that you're their beloved, but nobody has told you that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's great. Okay. ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,ah,
right time, you know, the, the animals are on there doing their thing. And at some point, there was a robbery. So robbers hit up the farm and stole a million dollars off of what was alleged was like $4 million in cash hidden in furniture inside that farm, right? So robbers come still from Mr. Ramaphosa. And now, of course, the person who's kind of breaking this news is a former intelligence chief of for South Africa, basically, right? It's under the Zuma administration. Someone who also um, is a loyalist to, or well, is apparently a loyalist to Joseph Zuma and technically in opposition to the current president, Sir Ramaphosa. Now, they now said what happened was that rather than Cyril reporting it to the police, he's like, yo, so you stole my money. Because he had something to hide, he used his own special presidential guard force to go after those folks, caught those folks, recovered the money, I said, imagine, or paid them off and said, or maybe disappeared them. I was like, yo, nobody must ever hear about this. Allegedly. Is that kind of? Yeah. Allegedly. 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 Yeah. Okay. That's what happened. Yeah. Allegedly. Well, yeah, this is one hell of a tale. I ain't gonna lie to you. This is, <laughs> I feel like this can make a movie. Um, and it might be true. Now, of course, because everything is alleged. And because of the dynamics with regards to the opposition versus Sir Ramaphosa, Joseph Zuma, who, if anybody is any familiar with, also has a, a mountain. A mountain will be an underestimation of the corruption allegations against them. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to, it seems like, potentially, one way could be perhaps that they're trying to kind of block, muddy the waters for uh, Sir Ramaphosa. Or maybe he legitimately also has money that he shouldn't have that he's pushed off of the government's coffers or whatever the case may be or taken in contracts, whatever the case may be. And this is actually a legend story. But um, it is kind of wild. I, I, I find it hard to personally kind of get a personal opinion on this, to be honest with you, to be like one word, because I don't know. I mean, I don't know for a fact which it was. Now, if past history has is evidence of anything, you know, I probably have a leaning one way versus the other, and, and most folks listening to this would have a sense of which way I'm leaning. Yeah. Um, but it also is one of those things where it's like, I mean, there are lots of there are lots of pots and kettles, and they're all black at this scenario. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's kind of my three cents on it so far. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing to note is that um, President Ramaphosa did admit that the robbery did happen on his ranch, um, but he said that it was reported to the head of his protection unit which falls under the South African Police Services. Um, so he said he did report this, but he just reported it to his, his protection unit, which is, I don't know, it, it seems fair, but at the same time, mm, anyways, it's it's kind of like like a basket that's full of water. There's some holes in that. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm with you where I can see it happening. I can also see the opposite because we do know that um, Zuma has all these allegations and charges against him, and part of the push of these charges against him has been under President Ramaphosa's time. So it could it could be kind of like a pushback against him and to uh, muddy his presidency, which otherwise has not been has not been so bad. I mean, corruption is still a big big problem in South Africa and things like that. But Ramaphosa himself has has been. Let me not put my mouth where it's no good, but he seems to have been mostly fine as a presence. Um, for that so this could be a push for that. And we already see that the accounts of the story that we're seeing are saying that it's it's rocking his political life, it's threatening him running 
for President Zekian and things like that. So this is an unfolding story that, like you say, I think we'll learn more and, and that might shift our where we're leaning more towards one side or against another side as we continue to get up into the story. Yeah. But it's important for you to be aware of us our listening. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, on to our next story. Um, and then really, really deeply sad news, um, as has been unfortunately for the past couple of uh, past decade plus in, in Nigeria, um, but, but slightly unusual this time just because of the region in which it happened. Uh, on June 5, 5, which is exactly two weeks before, two weeks, two weeks, um, we're recording this uh, on a Sunday, uh, government attacked a Catholic church in Southwest Nigeria during awesome Sunday, um, killing at least 50 people, including women and children, according to hospital and, and uh, hospital doctor and media reports now. Parts of the reason why, so my one question many people ask is like, you know, we've heard of a significant violent attacks in Nigeria, but um, in the southwest of Nigeria, this is extremely rare um, because much of the violence of this nature is happening in the northwest of Nigeria. Not that that makes it any better, uh, but generally the southwest of Nigeria has had um, less proximity for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, the economic development is generally better, things like that. Um, but this was one of the most harrowing attacks um, in recent memory. In recent memory, Pope Francis even you know, mentioned that he'd be praying for the victim, victims prior for the Vatican report. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those gruesome activities that happened in uh, so Southwest Nigeria, specifically in that whole state. Um, and for a lot of, I think, Nigerian Christians and Nigerian people generally, especially people who live in the Southwest region of Nigeria, are kind of shocked by this happening. Uh, many people are, many people are, you know, just kind of, it's one of the things where I think for too long we've been comfortable with violence as a thing that happens in a part of the country and now it's, it's touched a place so close that for a lot of people it feels, um, it feels very difficult now. Um, as of, you know, the most recent reports, police are still investigating the attacks, figure out what happened. However, there, there's news and, and we can't. We, we kind of validate the validity of this news. A couple of days ago that the attackers had been caught and, and you know, had been arraigned by people in the southern part of Nigeria now. And whether or not those are the actual attackers, there are a variety of reasons why that may not actually be the case. But um, generally, the points we're making is that this was a harrowing attacker and the souls of those people were in peace. I'm going to let you know your thoughts here. Yeah, um, just to reiterate on that like you said, it was, it was quite... I guess surprising that this attack would happen, um, and in such a, a relatively that still in this part of the country. And I think everybody is aware that there's been growing insecurity in Nigeria, all over the country, really, um, more specifically in the northern region, but over the country. And I think this is one of the proofs of the how bad the current. Uh, administration is the fact that this has been left to to left unchecked um to reign as soon as he has. And I don't know, it's it's very saddening. Um to paint another picture. So this state is one of the one of the states that holds a bigger population of what you would call 
irreparable. It's not ill stuff, um, but it's it's a big part of the environment. And so for a lot of people, um, a lot of the comments I read, if you're your right, you most likely know somebody who lives in the state, whether that be relative or friend. Um, and when you hear the story, you really fear runs into your mind that could someone I know have been affected. Um, and so it was a very scary Sunday. Um, I pray and hope that this doesn't happen again. I, I'm hoping for some miracle as well as it comes to Nigeria. And I'm, I don't know. I mean, cynical that it could happen, but I mean, hopeful that it could at the same time. So it's two, two tugging, um, two opposing thoughts tugging at me. But yeah, um, very, very unfortunate. story we'll actually be talking about the upcoming 2023 Nigerian elections. I mean these elections have been more than interesting. You know, we have your usual suspects, your usual political parties, PDP and APC. Um, and now you have a, a new party that looks to be coming up um, that looks, looks to be gaining a lot of support, which is the Labour Party. Um, the the um, APC party very recently had its primaries where we saw a lot of candidates on that party kind of succumb to Tinubu. It was very strange. <laughs> uh, I didn't watch the whole thing. Succumb is the right word. Yeah. And then Tinubu emerged as the party's candidates. And then on the APC side, we have a who also emerged as the party's candidates. And then we had uh, a newcomer, Peter Obi, who seems to have been gaining ground, uh, at least from my perspective, looking at social media, um, who he was originally part of, I think, PDP, and then he left to, to, to the Labour Party. And so it seems that we may have an actual third party in the running that has a shot at presidency. But right now, I'm not looking at between that for for some context, uh, Bola Tinubu, Senator Bola Tinubu, was um, in the past was a governor of Lagos State, um, and you know has many claims, some some good, some bad against him. Um, Atiku does not have his spotless. Um, what's the word? Uh, he doesn't have a exactly. He has a far from his spotless record at the same time, so it's not looking good. Peter B, from most accounts, has um good stories being said about him. I believe he was in the past governor of Anagra State, and um, he will speak highly of of his time as governor. And so he's the, in my opinion, looking at it, he's the hopeful candidate in this race. But yeah, we'll see. We have two kind of like lords, quote unquote, because they have they have reputation, they've they have um connections. And we have this third guy who as a stand person these two people may not have it. But this is why 
myself, I, I would preach you know, getting your PVC and routine because I know it seems like roots don't count, but they actually do. They didn't, there will not be so many oppositions in your way to vote. And it just shows the proof that voting counts. I, I've seen a lot more push to get PVC and I've seen a lot more people say they're getting PVC, which is encouraging for me, but I think that at least let's bring it out. At least let's come out and vote in mass and see if it truly does not count. Let's, at least if you're running a test, let's strike off that option, you know? Um, and so I would encourage all of our listeners, if you're a Nigerian, um, a Nigerian citizen over 18 years old, try and get your PVC and try to vote. It's a, it's a matter of life and death at this point because with the way the country has been running, we cannot afford for the to sink further for them to the ground. Yeah, can you any thoughts? Oh, manic, manic. I think maybe a helpful thing to do would be to kind of try and scope up the scale of the problem we have as Nigerians uh, or or people interested in the Afghan concerns or maybe the world globally. Um, the first key point in Nigeria is that it's overwhelmingly the most populated country in Africa, almost double the size of the NATO, or well over double the size of the next, next largest countries in Egypt and, and Ethiopia. Um, and other than, you know, a, a collapse of that society, meaning terrible things for not just the region, but the world okay. in general, um, I think there's an incentive for us to want to see extreme success in that environment. Or we that success and progress in that night, that success could potentially buoy the entire African continent. And to that point, let's kind of outline some of the key challenges the country, the country has now. The rough estimates for uh, unemployment for folks within the working age is well over 35%. Now, there's economists that will challenge that number and say it's almost 54% at this point in time, but neither of those numbers are low, right? So that's that considerable proportion of the population being unemployed is a problem. Now, thinking even more about our population, um, over half of the population of the country is, is, uh, is about is on is within the ages of what is considered a youth. I think it's under twenty five. Um, so it just gives you a scale of the, the volume of, of types of people that will be impacted and disenfranchised by any continual issues with the country. In a country that continues to prevent people from gaining any sense of self actualization, imagine the scale of the problem that you suddenly start to have. Then we have, of course, the security issues that we just discussed in our in Ondo uh, states. And in, have, and in other parts of the country that have have, have literally desolated the entire regions of the northwest of Nigeria up until this point and threatening most of the rest of the country. Um, the issues there is that imagine the the, 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 the thousands, hundreds of thousands that have already been destabilized by or by by terrorist attacks. Imagine that's potentially impacting the entire country. So the new the new government president, whoever he or she is, but actually it seems like it's likely to be here at this point. Whoever he is has to resolve the security issue, figure out to significant, massive use of employment, also to figure out the debt crisis in which Nigeria is, is likely to spend almost hundred percent of its revenue doing debt servicing and covering its existing costs. Has to figure out how to somehow eke out investments or get additional internal revenue coming into the country uh, of a country that has very much lower than average collection rates in the, in the, on the continent. And then they have to figure out, of course, an energy, energy crisis. Nigeria's uh, national electric bill, the grid has uh, 
collapsed over 17 times this year already. I was just telling my dad about it just this year. I was telling my dad about it. I said something. I said only. <laughs> so it just, it just, not really. It just tells you. I'm all happy Father's Day to him too. But okay. it just tells you kind of the scope of the problem that the country, the country has to deal with. And that being said, I mean, of like um, a station, like skipping, like they were. Some of like this Nigerians greed, uh, like just jump from every every other time. Yes. Yes. Uh, and that being said, you know, the, the challenges Nigeria faces over the next eight years, I don't think... So here's my feeling. Nigeria does not just need an okay president. They don't just need a president that will be better than... That will be not as bad as the last time. They need an exceptional leader. Somebody who can truly, truly get all of this. I mean, these are... These are problems that will be difficult for the best of leaders in any second, in any historical context to solve. Like, there's nobody I can point to historically. I'm like, oh, this guy will come in and resolve these things. And maybe those are just lofty expectations. Maybe, you know, maybe we really should be thinking about, um, you know, like how, what maybe we one person can solve a bit of this or a bit of that. But let's imagine that the president is going to, to attempt to at least improve us on all fronts. This is a gargantuan tax. And I think for Nigerians asking themselves, you truly have to ask yourself, like, okay, you know, somebody may try to buy your buy your votes, both votes, but what they're really exchanging the money for at this point in time is your future, right? And it's not a faraway future. This is the next four years, next eight years. The attack or the, the complete collapse of the Nigerian society could potentially happen if we make the wrong decision there, or if the, whoever chooses to make wrong decisions. Now, we may argue, or oh, you know, to, to to other points like you know, that our vote doesn't count. Uh, less than 34% of the electorate, voting age electorate shows up. Oh, we're young people, rigging happens, X, Y, and Z. All of the above may be true. However, if we are to hold our hands up and let, let's let ourselves slide into the abyss, we are also part of the problem. We've contributed to one and we don't get the right to complain. This is one time where we have potentially the chance to step in and say, hey, we are in force. We deserve to have a stake in our future. We're going to try and vote. Whatever happens, happens. But we try and we vote. It is critically important for us to step up this time now that they could potentially be viable candidates. Now, I don't know for a fact that Peter is a guy. I don't know that Tinubu is not. I don't know that Tinubu is not. However, from recent memories, where they ruled, what the people have been around us said about them, Peter Obi seems far more likely, in my, in my general sense, to be qualified. To, or actually more likely to be qualified to be to be better suited to solve the issues. Now, however, given the scope of the problems that just outlined, honestly, I think Nigeria needs Nigeria needs Nigeria needs not just leadership, but but but, but something something divine. But I think America truly, truly America. And you know, I, I wish it was an easy problem. I wish it was something. I wish I could tell you that I was. Excited about any candidates I've made to solve all these problems, but honestly, I'm not. What I am excited about, however, is our ability to put a stake in the ground and say enough is enough. And that is critical. And, and that, why that's important is because the largest voting bill in, in Nigeria at this point in time is those people who are under 25, the people who have to leave decades, the people who have to explain to their children why the country ended up the way they did, right? Most of the people, if you, if they, if you see some people that are running that are not going to be here, when the impact of this, these decisions actually land, you know, maybe those people don't have the same incentive set as you. But we're going to have to explain to our country, our, 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 our children, what happened to our country. 
And if we had the chance to try, to at least try this one time, you know, I think I think we have to. Um, whatever that looks like for you in, in trying, advocating, getting people out to sign up, forcing these candidates to actually set, tell us what their actual plans are, forcing these candidates to tell us who who they're going to elect in operations, raising raising voter education about what the issues are, you know, helping to provide a, a framework for people to understand their rights as citizens. Whatever your stepping up looks like this time, I think we all have a responsibility to do so. Because if four years from now, five years from now, eight years from now, the whole thing is 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 in dumpster fire. You know, it's it's we want to say that at least we tried, we made an effort to make things better. We took a hard shot at and if 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 by God's good grace, knocking on wood, things are fantastic, we can say that we're a big part of why that happened. Uh, we, we we held the reins and we stopped we stopped the oxen from driving us into the abyss. So. You know, that's my plea to the Nigerian people or whatever age you are. Um, we have a chance this time. Um, let's, let's try. Let's be the man in the area. Yeah. Love that soapbox, um, speech. That was very encouraging. And I hope that everybody feels encouraged and sense of rights to play their path. I think we all have a path, uh, a part to play. Um, however, like these things, what we do. Um, and I hope that we're all encouraged to be a part. Want yeah. to move us to uh, final story? Absolutely. And for, for some additional context on this final story, um, we are working on an episode of the Afghan Union, which is a page plays a part in this story um, that's going to outline some of what the challenges are, the issue itself, and a few things that we think are important to talk about. Um, but the story here is that uh, President, the president of Russia, uh, Vladimir Putin, and the African Union held a meeting on Friday to discuss the food crisis. Now, um, if you haven't been living under a rock, there's been a real war between Ukraine and Russia. As part of that war, Ukraine has served as the breadbasket of many nations for the better part of the past decades. And the invasion and sanctions and the whole uh, smorgasbord of things. Um, has led to what's now significant food scarcity in many countries, especially in Africa, right? So specifically, for example, cereal prices in Africa, which is currently the world's poorest continent, continents have surged because, of course, the slump of exports from, from Ukraine. And then the lack of ability to sanctions to buy um, food from Russia has significantly, have significantly uh, uh, impacted impacted the Afghanistan. So this, this meeting, uh, my understanding was held with kind of a dual mission. One, to advocate for an easing of the Ukraine conflict. I want also to, to free up, you know, the, the, kind of the imports and exports of, of cereals and fertilizers. Two things that come from Ukraine that's, that's really, really affect African countries. Um, they, the Kremlin said that, you know, the Kremlin also has an international agenda and that is interested in growing its global influence, um, of which Africa is, is a part of that plan. Um, and the African Union seems to be leveraging its uh, perceived value to Russia to kind of start some negotiations that hopefully um, bring some bring some some progress towards people. Anika, uh, what are your thoughts on Yeah, I, I think I'd like to point out that um, this conflict that's ongoing between Russia and Ukraine is affecting every, every country. Um, one, the sanctions against Russia are not looking good for the rest of the country. Uh, things like oil that Russia helps to supply is 
contributing to the high gas prices that you see around the world. So it's it's really devastating. Not um especially for the country countries affected, especially Ukraine, but for the rest of the world as well. We've seen other issues come up. I assume that we've covered uh, treatment of racism people within this uh, Ukraine as they try to escape and different things like that. So it's one thing that this story helps to highlight is how everything is done with perfect, um, how one thing we have ripple, ripple effects. And unfortunately, the ripple effects are not looking good. Um, and so I'm hoping that this is step in a good direction to salvage some of the effects that have already been made. Um, I can't say for sure. Uh, so as the conflict is still going on, so we're still going on. Um, but we hope for a, a, a quick a, res- a, co- a resolution that comes soon and hopefully some of these effects can ease out for lack of better words. Yeah. One, one bad part about their planning is that they seem to have over the past couple of years taken marketing for them. And the outcomes for Afghan people, oftentimes negotiating in times where the where individual countries don't have a lot of leverage, uh, and that makes me very happy to see. I'm excited about the future. Um, uh, you know, there, there's individuals that actually uh, Afghan Union and it's kind of sister institutions like the Afghan Development Bank and things like that. That I think are are uh, really really making a significant leap. Um, so yeah, with um, I'm, I'm just, I, I'd like to highlight that as a good thing, you know, <laughs> what I see like a lot of bad news that we've been sharing. Uh, and, and if I were to share a takeaway for for today, um, kind of from all the stories um, that we've been talking about, is that it seems like these next couple of years are extremely critical for us um, as a continent. Um, everything from in South Africa, how we treat things that we see are our breaches of power by the powerful or how we understand our political systems. Um, two, uh, you know, as for the security issue on those on those states, um, at the systemic scale, we see how something that seems to have started so far away from us is now impacting um, we just close to us. And maybe that's a watchword for not just Africans but people over the world. That's you know, and if we start to see, so you know, there's an African, there's an Nigerian proverb from a not from not from clap dance it starts like it's, it starts somewhere and then it's, it falls into anything. So where we see justice or things sliding in a certain direction we need to speak up as soon as possible because uh, if we if we don't speak up because we feel like it's far away from us it might impact us and then with the Nigerian election season we get an opportunity to speak up to move to actually do something to prevent the further slide and and, and maybe that happens maybe it, maybe it, I actually hope it does and then with the Afghan Union we see we see an active kind of be almost a manifestation of years of preparation and work and Building, building some equity, being leveraged towards trying to improve things for for the people. So that's my that's my uh, takeaway. Uh, any thoughts? No, I think that's a, a great takeaway and a great recap of all the stories that we share. I think one important thing that we look at when we're picking stories is just the connection and bridging back things that our district keep in mind. So I, I think that's a fantastic recap. Thank you guys for listening to us with our news updates. Um, please feel free to shoot us interesting stories on our Instagram or on our Twitter, um, PodSaveAfrica with a zero on, on Twitter and then uh, at our email at PodSaveAfrica.com. We're getting lots of, lots of requests for inter- interviews. We're definitely evaluating every single one we receive 
and uh, we're trying to make sure we're making the right choices for bringing people up to the podcast and, and developing the right partnerships. Um, but we're excited about the future, and then we thank you for continuing to listen to listen to us. Yes, thank you again. As always, please don't forget to rate and review us on your listening platforms um, on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. It really does help um, our podcast to help to continue to be discovered by more people that should be our separate stories and our separate content. Uh, we appreciate your listenership and we look forward to talking to you next time.